Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Bible Study Podcast. My name is Travis Polly, and here we have one goal, learn to love like Jesus. I hope you enjoy this episode. back. Hi, Wes. Hey, Travis. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I'm doing great. We have uh, a topic for today's episode, which uh, sort of, as you said, combines two uh, of our favorite things. Yours is eschatology. Yes. I don't know how much we'll get into eschatology today, but that's definitely one of my favorite topics. And then as you pointed out, the chosen. My yes. favorite topic. Your favorite to topic. topic is definitely the chosen. That's yes. right. Yes. So uh, we have a really interesting question uh, that I think about a lot, and that show I know has prompted uh, a lot of people to think about uh, when, when it comes to uh, to how we think about Jesus and his, yeah. specifically his time on earth. Yeah. And so the the question that has been asked to us is was prompted by the show and then the show's creator Dallas Jenkins responded to the way that the chosen has portrayed Jesus and i don't want us to be necessarily in the position of defending the show or defending Jenkins or anything like that um but it it has brought up a question that has been sent into us but also i've responded to other people's questions not just this listener but to other people about hey this is the way they're portraying Jesus is that accurate? Or people that have said, that's not accurate. That's not how Jesus was when he was conducting his earthly ministry. Specifically, it revolves around the question of whether or not Jesus was omniscient, whether or not he knew everything. There are times where we see that Jesus read people's thoughts. He knew what they were thinking. He knew what was in their heart. Um, But are we to assume or to think that Jesus always knew everything? everything while he was going about his earthly ministry. The way that Jesus is portrayed in The Chosen, one of the the scenes that you and I have even talked about before is his preparation for the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I guess I always assumed that Jesus simply spoke off the cuff and Matthew wrote it down, and that's just the way that it happened. But The Chosen portrays Jesus preparing his sermon and going over it and changing things and making additions and subtractions and saying, should I say it like this? Or maybe I should say it like that. As if Jesus doesn't already know ahead of time what he's going to say and how he's going to say that. Now, the specifics of that, we don't know. We can't answer whether or not Jesus prepared the Sermon on the Mount ahead of time or whether he edited it or had help with it or anything like that. And I don't even really want to get into the weeds on that. But one of our listeners sent in this question and said, I think I've always assumed Jesus knew everything and the thoughts of people while he walked the earth. But Dallas Jenkins made some good points, and she's referencing a post that he made. I'll link to that in the show notes. That he made some good points and have caused me to look at that differently. And I'm curious what you would think. So, this is a great question. Um, was Jesus all-knowing? Did he, as he walked the earth for those 33 years, did Jesus know everything? Did he know everybody's thoughts all of the time? Did he know what he was going to do and what other people were going to do all of the time? Was he omniscient while he conducted his earthly ministry? So that's 
that's the question that we're going to tackle. Anything before we jump into sort of a response to that? Any anything that that you think needs to be pointed out as far as preliminarily as you've sort of wrestled with this? Maybe. I was just thinking about this yesterday. Actually, the the it, it's a cons- continually difficult paradox for us to wrap our minds around. I, I, you know, I feel like I'm no closer really to, to wrapping my mind around it, you know, over, well, over, over 10 years, over a decade of being a Christian and growing up in the church, the paradox of Jesus being the son of God and the son of man, that he's, you know, that he was God in the flesh, fully divine, but also fully human. Yes. I mean, that, that that raises a lot of questions like these. Right. We see that he has, throughout the Gospels, we see he has power to do miracles, mm-hmm. to um, reverse the laws of nature, to mm-hmm. uh, to bend the laws of nature. He's in yeah. control. Yeah. He Tell ulti- the storm, peace be still. Peace be still, yeah. and yeah. walk on water, and uh, you know, turn substance, turn water into wine, and yeah. and. Um, and then, of course, we see him have the power over death. But how much, how much was he God, and how much was he man? Yeah, you know, it's, it's something that I think the show, The Chosen, does such a terrific job of exploring. Yeah, and uh, that's it's something I've really appreciated seeing him struggle with with his humanity, mm, mm. Um, and others struggle with his humanity. Mm-hmm. You know, the, that's one of the I, I would say one of the themes of the show that he's not the all pa- he's not the the um, the vengeance that people wanted mm. the, the vengeance mm-hmm. of God. He's mm-hmm. not the presence of God people were expecting. Yeah, yeah. But so I, I think this is this is a this is a great opportunity to explore that. Yeah. that idea that paradox. Yeah. that it's hard for believers and non-believers oh, alike. Oh, for sure, and it's it's definitely, and this is what Jenkins' point was in his his post was that Christians have struggled with this idea for two thousand years. We've to, often taken to it one direction think, or the right, other, right? Absolutely, to to think about the Trinity, the Triune God. How is God one? but yet God is also three. How is that even possible? How is it possible for Jesus to be fully human and fully divine? Was he half and half? Was he a, was he just God pretending to be human, uh, like sort that. of putting on a human costume, or yeah. was he fully human and fully divine? The orthodox position of Christians, and we'll read Philippians 2 here in just a second, but the orthodox position for Christians is that Jesus is not God pretending to be a human. He is not God with a human costume on. Right. That, that Jesus is the second person of the Godhead, that he is God, he is divine, he was divine, he has always been divine, that even in his humanity, he still possessed his divinity. He didn't give up being God while he was in the flesh, but in the flesh, he he could, he is fully human. We could even go into that perpetual humanity of Jesus. I actually think that's a really important topic that Jesus, I don't like when people say that Jesus was human. Jesus is human. Paul confirms Jesus' present humanity. So Jesus is presently 
divine and human. He didn't give up being human when he ascended to the throne. He continues to be our human advocate. He's our brother, our human brother, who is interceding for us as our high priest. If he wasn't human, he couldn't be our high priest. But anyway, that's that's kind of a different subject. We're specifically talking about his earthly ministry. Here's the way Paul puts it in Philippians 2. Philippians 2, verse 5. And again, most people are probably familiar with this passage, but Paul is really encouraging Christians to live out the incarnation, mm-hmm. really, to live out what Jesus did in the incarnation, to use that, uh, the, the incarnation is a call to imitation, <laughs> that, that we are yeah. called to imitate the incarnation. So he says, Philippians 2 and verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality with God a thing to be grasped or something to be held on to. That phrase has been translated all kinds of different ways uh, from the Greek that he didn't consider it robbery, something to, to be held on to, you know, with, a, with this firm grasp to say, I'm going to hold on to this over my dead body. Are you getting this away from me? He didn't hold on to that equality with God like that, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So in the same way that he is in the form of God, he is fully God. He also became fully in the form of humans. So he became fully human. Prior to his incarnation, he was just God. He was the second person of the Godhead. But in his incarnation, when Mary became pregnant with Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, this, for the first time ever, God became a human being. And in order to do that, Paul says that Jesus had to, the second person of the Godhead, had to empty himself in order to take on this this role of this form of a servant. And again, Paul is saying all of this to encourage our imitation of the incarnation, that we should imitate what Jesus has done. But this is incredibly descriptive of what Jesus did, that he, though he is God, he became a servant. And in order to become a servant, in order to become human, he had to empty himself. Well, empty himself of of what? Like, what did he empty himself of? Did he cease to be God? Well, no, he didn't cease to be God. He's still God in flesh. He is still Emmanuel, God with us. But being in the form of humanity, he is by very nature of that limited. Right. And and when we think about, we think about the, the, aspects or the characteristics, qualities that we typically assign to deity. We typically think of omniscience, all-knowing, omnipotence, all-powerful, and omnipresence, present everywhere. Well, the question we've been asked is specifically about omniscience, all-knowing, but let's kind of set that aside for a second and let's talk about omnipotence, all-powerful. Is Jesus the human all-powerful? Specifically, again, we'll limit our discussion to his earthly ministry. Is he all-powerful? Well, no, he's not all-powerful. And I know people might like grimace at that and like, 
hold on, what are you saying? Jesus isn't all powerful. Well, wait a second. I mean, was he an infant? Like, was Jesus ever right. an infant? Are you telling me that infant Jesus is all powerful? Like, or or did he empty himself of his omnipotence by taking on the form of humanity and become weak? If someone is all powerful, then by very definition, they have no weakness. Jesus had weaknesses. He he was tempted in every way as we are. That's the whole point of his fleshly nature right. is that he he became weak. God took on a form where he could get hungry. An all-powerful being doesn't experience hunger. Jesus experienced hunger mm-hmm. by choice because he chose to limit himself, to empty himself to empty himself of omnipotence so that the one who from from eternity past only knew omnipotence limited himself, emptied himself so dramatically that he got hungry and cried for his mother's milk. And as he got older, even in his ministry, he... He had to eat food. <laughs> he got tired. He had to sleep. He had to rest. He wept. All of these weak, you know, weaknesses, not that weeping is a is a weakness, but all of these weaknesses like hunger and thirst on the cross. He cried out, "I'm thirsty." He bled. He died. His death is proof that he emptied himself of omnipotence. Right. So Jesus is executed Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he's executed and buried in weakness. So the omnipotent one emptied himself of omnipotence so that he could experience what it's like to be human, which includes weakness and not being all-powerful. The other one is omnipresence. Well, obviously, human Jesus, as he walked the earth, was was not omnipresent. He was in one location at a time. Now, I mean, that's a pretty amazing thought in and of itself, isn't it? That that the one who from eternity past only knew omnipresence, that he was present everywhere at all times. Confined himself. Confined himself to being in a singular location, in one town at one time, in one boat with one group of people, to limit himself so dramatically so that he's only in one place at one time. If, if he didn't empty himself of omnipresence and omnipotence, then he wasn't human. But we believe that Jesus became fully human and is, by the way, is fully human in that he experienced all of these things. The Hebrew writer discusses this in detail, how important it was for him to experience all these things, to be tempted, tested in every way like we are, and yet without sin. It's such an important distinction um, that he, it, it's not so much that he wasn't all powerful. It was that he allowed himself to be not all powerful. Yes. That he, he, it's a, it's part of humility. Yes. That he empties himself, as you said. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong. I believe this is one of the early heresies of, of Christendom that Christ didn't actually die. Oh, sure. The Gnostics, right. the Gnostics had all kinds of different ways of looking at this because yeah. they didn't believe that God right. would actually become human, which is yeah. what John deals with at length. 
yeah. in First John, this is this is how you know that someone is a real Christian. If right. and if they are not a real Christian, if they deny that Christ came in the flesh, that He is flesh, that He became human, if they deny that reality, then they're not really of Christ. I can remember having a or listening in on an argument, or a debate when I was uh, in church when I was a kid, and people were talking. Somehow the question came up about, well, could Jesus have sinned? And some mm. people were very adamant that, no, he, he couldn't have sinned. Mm. And others were like, well, then what was the point? Right, right, right. <laughs> and I always kind of went to that side of the argument because, you know, like you said, it's his death that is one of the most telling signs of his humanity. Absolutely. That he allowed himself to die. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's a, side of, it's a sign of his godhood that he rose again. Mm. But again, to go back to, it's, it's a difficult paradox, but we have to try to keep these two things in our head mm. at the same time, that he, he was all-powerful, mm. but he emptied himself of it. Mm-hmm. He was all-knowing. Mm-hmm. Well, and we're probably going to get to another mm-hmm. verse where even that could be, right. I think, questioned. Right. But he emptied himself. I, I think, you know, some of the specific moments in the show that we're referencing when mm-hmm. he's rehearsing the Sermon on the Mount, mm-hmm. I, I, that's the last episode of season two, if you haven't seen it. Um, but, you know, he's, he's sort of pacing around and he's going over words and he uh, he's going over the, you are the salt of the earth line mm-hmm. from the Sermon on the Mount. And he's, he's stumbling over it now. That's not right. And, mm-hmm. and perfecting it. And I, I know that that really bothers people. Um, but one one of the things that it made me think about was, well, can God reason? Hmm. Because I think you can go back to, even to the Old Testament. Now, I don't pretend to know all the specifics of this, but how many times does God negotiate with his people? Hmm. Hmm. Now, you could say, well, he's all-knowing, and he, he, he already had that in mind in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But we're sort of portraying God like a puppet master, I think, when we do that. Hmm. And and that's that is not the the... That is not the picture that we get of God mm. throughout Scripture. Mm. It's, you know, again, we go back to we have freedom of choice. And so even God the Father is negotiating. You know, you go back to Moses mm-hmm. in, in, in Exodus when he's negotiating on behalf of the people and saying, don't start over, don't wipe them out. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't know all the specifics of it, but God is, is reasoning with him mm-hmm. and listening to him. So how much more would Christ coming to earth mm-hmm. and like you said emptying himself of his humanity or of his of his uh, omniscience and omni- uh, omnipotence how much more would he allow himself to be put into situations where he needed to think he mm-hmm. needed to reason mm-hmm. he needed to struggle with mm-hmm. his words with how he was going to do this mm-hmm. how many times do we see Jesus go away mm-hmm. in scripture you know they, it's, it's, that's another great part of that show is they're always looking for Jesus. Mm-hmm. He's always disappeared. Mm-hmm. And that's such a common theme in the Gospels. Oh, absolutely. And I think, I don't know what he was doing all the time when he went away. He did talk about praying. Mm-hmm. Went to the wilderness, yeah. Yeah, but it's like, well, because he needed that. I, I, can, I can think I can make that assumption, mm-hmm. that he needed time away. He needed mm-hmm. maybe time to think, mm-hmm. maybe time to think about how am I going to, how am I going to tell them that I'm I'm not going to be around forever. Mm-hmm. That I'm going to die, mm-hmm. and then when I I'm going to come back, but then I'm going to leave them. Mm-hmm. How how do I tell my followers that? Yeah, you know that's it's. I think the evidence of this is all is all there. Yeah. but again, well, this, we're struggling with that 
age old problem. I think it's really interesting that you brought up the Old Testament because I think that that's one of the amazing things about God is that he has always, not just in the incarnation, but especially in the incarnation, he has always condescended, not condescending in a, in a negative way, condescended as in came down right. to be with his people. And to even deal with us, he's, he's doing that. Right. I mean, I mean the, God, the God of the Hebrew scriptures dwells in a tent. Yeah. Not that his, obviously not oh, that his entire point. presence is captured in a tent. Not even the temple could contain him. It, it's like his, his, uh, his footrest, but, but he, he came down and dwelt in a tent so that yeah. he could camp out with his people. And like you said, there were times where he allowed himself to be negotiated with. Now I would say that God knows how this negotiation sure. is going to go, but he does this because inexplicably to some degree he has allowed humanity to play a role in his project of creation yeah. it's amazing we're a bunch of mess ups and yet he says hey i want to partner with you you want to partner with us out of all the hosts of heaven you want to partner with us you want to you want to join forces with us and for us to actually cooperate and participate in your project and that's that's amazing why the psalmist says that's just mind-boggling. When you think about the entirety of the universe, w- what is man that you are mindful of him? What is the son of man? And so that's the, the amazing thing is that God makes friends with, negotiates with, talks with, goes back and forth with humanity. That's what I love about the story of Jacob wrestling with God. Yeah. It isn't so much that Jacob would wrestle with God. Of course he would. The question is, why would God condescend and allow himself to be wrestled with? Like, why Why did he let Jacob keep going on and on all night long when he could just stop him at any point? He allowed himself to be wrestled with. Jesus, Jesus is that paradox that we've always seen in the God of Scripture, in Yahweh. But in one person, it is God limiting himself to human form, becoming human, and getting down, rolling up his sleeves, getting down in the mud and the muck and the mire with us, and and participating with us in this project. Because in order for the the project of God to be what he always intended, it has to be a divine partnership with a human partnership. It has to be divine and human. Jesus is both parts of that, in one. And so here is Jesus becoming everything that the Hebrew scriptures are pointing to. The seed of Abraham, a human seed of Abraham, the descendant of Abraham, and Yahweh together doing what God had always intended. So Jesus is God keeping up his end of the covenant, mm. and he's also Israel keeping up Israel's side of the covenant, Abraham's seed keeping up his side of the covenant. So the incarnation is just such an amazing, beautiful picture, but it has to be that Jesus really is human and a human is limited in presence. A human is limited in power and a human is limited in knowledge. Now, again, I like to go back to the infancy of Jesus. We don't have a whole lot of details on the infancy of Jesus. And even though we we know something of his childhood and how he was profoundly wise, even as a 12-year-old boy in the temple, but we have to believe that baby Jesus could not walk. 
I mean, right. when, when he was an infant, he couldn't walk. When he was an infant, he couldn't talk. So we have to believe that if the question is, did Jesus, human Jesus, know everything all the time? Well, the answer has to be no, because he obviously didn't know Arabic when he was born, but he l- learned. Wow. That, God that learned. statement. It, yeah. Again, it's just as profound as God got hungry. God got tired. God sweated. God died. God, if we're saying Jesus is divine, but yet Jesus is also human, all of these limitations he's experienced in even the lack of knowledge and the gaining of knowledge through learning. So Jesus had to learn throughout his life, throughout his time on earth, he had to learn. He had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to talk. He had to learn how to do his ABCs. He had to learn how to, to write. He had to learn all of these things. I don't think that, I don't think there's any evidence that it was all just miraculously downloaded into his brain from day one, that there was a period of, of growth and learning, obviously ahead of most, you know, obviously, and, and we'll talk about why that was the case. But before we go to break, let me read Mark 13 and verse 32. And I mean, this really answers the question, but uh, Mark 13, 32, Jesus says, concerning that day or hour when he was going to return, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. So there, there's at least one example, Jesus saying, there's something I don't know. I just want to take a short break from our Bible study to tell you that if you are enjoying this discussion, you might also enjoy my book, Beyond the Verse. You can find the audio version of the book at radicallychristian.com slash audible. That's radicallychristian.com slash audible. And if you're not already an Audible subscriber, you can actually get my book for free when you sign up for a free trial. So go to radicallychristian.com slash audible. Now back to the Bible study. I love that you brought up before the break that you brought up Jacob mm. and uh, wrestling with God. We're in Genesis right now in our classes, and that's where I think some classes have already gone through that part. My class is way behind. Gotcha. So we're we're coming up on that story when Jacob wrestles with God. But I was thinking about this in preparation for class, that if you were going to invent a divinity, one that would make sense, you know— would be one that demands submission and not that God doesn't, mm-hmm. but that that's his big thing. That's yeah. his, that's his yeah. main deal. Yeah. And if you go to, it's, it's interesting. If you go to the, the name Muslim, it means those who submit to God. Right. Right. And that makes sense. But then you look at the Israelites and Israel, what does that mean? They who, Jacob, it was he who wrestles with, wrestles God, with God Yeah. when he was named Israel. And then it was they who wrestle with God. Yeah. It's like that, defies human logic yeah. as to what we would think right. we're supposed to be yes. before our father, before yeah. our divinity. Yeah. And so I, I think to go back to this this topic of was Jesus all knowing, was he was he was he all powerful while he was on earth? It's like I, I think we, we struggle with this often because we're trying to protect the sacredness mm-hmm. of God and his power mm-hmm. and his divinity. And so these things that challenge that, well, he didn't know about the day of judgment. Mm-hmm. He he allowed himself to be emptied mm-hmm. enough to be killed. Mm-hmm. 
and to the point like you brought up, I hadn't even thought so much about the fact that he was an infant. He had to learn to walk and talk and read. And mm-hmm. I, I think it, we, we struggle with that because it, we feel like it's, it's challenging. Well, well who, who is this God that I'm serving? Mm-hmm. Is he all powerful? Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, he's so powerful that he can give it up. Mm-hmm. And things will be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because the gods of mythology yeah. are Im- impetuous. They're mm-hmm. they're petty. They are all about themselves. Mm-hmm. The god of reality, the living god Yahweh, is so much more complicated than that. Very. Does he want to be glorified by his creation? Absolutely, he does, and and is right for doing so. But at the same time, he's willing to become our servant. To come not to be served, but to serve and yeah. to give his life as a ransom for many, that is incredibly scandalous. I mean, it is, we should yeah. be scandalized yeah. when we when we see a portrayal of Jesus. Again, I don't know if he studied for the Sermon on the Mount, but if he's fully human, did he have to go to Torah school? Did he have to learn the Torah? Well, yes, I think he did. Which is amazing because he, as the second person of the Godhead, he he's the one who gave the people the Torah. <laughs> and yet now, <laughs> now he's emptied himself of that knowledge so that as a little boy, he had to be trained in the Torah. He had to learn the Torah like others. And you say, well, how do you know that? What, well, what if that's not true? Well, what's the alternative? That it all just got downloaded? That he right. didn't have the challenge and the hardship and the struggle of learning and growth, well, that would be to short-circuit what it is to be a human. Je- Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, the Son, wanted to do this for us, that his service to humanity is not just on the cross. His service to humanity is becoming human. Mm. And again, continually, perpetually being human. Now, not in a limited sense now, he's been raised in power and he reigns as the son of man on the heavenly throne, having all authority in heaven and on earth. So his present power and strength is not what it was in his earthly ministry. But when, when Mary became pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit, from that point forward, the second person of the Godhead has been human. That is phenomenal and through that growth and struggle having to go through every stage of humanity that we go through he was a teenager he was an adolescent he was a toddler he was an infant he went through these things and struggled in a very similar way to to what we've struggled with the Hebrew writer says if he didn't do that, he could not be our high priest, but he can be our high priest and he can empathize with our weakness because he experienced it and he was tempted and tested in every way, but was without sin. Now, okay, so if that's true, then, and I'm sure there are many people sitting there chomping at the bit saying, well, wait, wait. I mean, Jesus knew people's thoughts. Jesus knew people's heart. Jesus, as you said earlier, he calmed the sea. He had all of this power. How did he have all of this power if he emptied himself of of omnipotence and omniscience? Wait, let's think about some of the things that Jesus said about his own ministry. This is from Isaiah 61, but then Jesus quotes this when he has the opportunity to explain 
who he is and what he's doing, he reads from Isaiah. Isaiah 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. All I really needed to read was the first part, but I like <laughs> I like it so much I had to read the whole thing. But the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. That's where Jesus' power came from, was the same power that he gave to his apostles, the same power that God gave to the prophets, the same power that lives and dwells in the church was the one who gave Jesus the strength and power, which means, by the way, that human Jesus had to rely on the strength and power he got from his Father and from the Spirit. So God anointed Jesus with the Spirit and gave him the power to fulfill his ministry. All of the the miraculous, what we call miraculous, that's kind of a modern category, but anyway, all of the powerful things that Jesus did, he did because he was empowered outside of himself Mm. by his Father and by the Spirit. Now, does that mean Jesus wasn't God? No. Again, over and over again, we're saying even in, in his earthly ministry, Jesus was God. But as earthly Jesus, human Jesus, he relied on just as all of God's people have had to do, just as Moses had to do, just as David had to do, just as Peter had to do, just as all of God's people have had to do, he relied on God's empowering presence Mm. through the Spirit. Well, just the fact that he prayed. Yes. Like that presents a paradox. You know, many people have brought it up. It's, is he praying to himself? It's like... Yes, but is he praying because he needs he needs something? Yes. Well, th- you know? th- that's the whole thing. He's not, like this is where like the um the the oneness Pentecostals. I, I just don't oh, even sure. understand. There there are non Trinitarian people who you know claim to be Christians, um, but don't believe in a triune God. Right. And it's like, well, who, again, who's he praying to? If he's not praying to his Father, that. Just because Jesus is the is divine and the Spirit is divine and the Father is divine doesn't mean that they're the same person. That Jesus, like you said, is praying to someone else. Right. He's praying to the Father and relying on what the Father is doing for him, not merely as a show, but because you said this word earlier, he needed it. He needed time and prayer. He needed his father's help. He needed the spirit to empower him and strengthen him. Be- why why does why does anyone need something? The father needs nothing. He doesn't need anything, but the son put himself into a position where he needed someone else to empower and strengthen him to be able to accomplish and do what he was called to do. It's like he needed his own divinity that's outside of time mm. <laughs> that's outside of the physical world yeah that's again it, it, as but i say needed, it it doesn't make it any simpler that he laid aside right yeah it's but, like as i say it i can say it it doesn't make it any sure, simpler sure. in some sense yeah. but yeah i think it is one thing we've we've talked about over and over again it is the wrestling with it I yes think, i think that's i'm starting to see yeah that's the point right that's 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 that I'm, I'm sure there's a there's a lot of points, but I think that for us to reflect on his ministry, on his life, 
that's something so important for us to because uh, just in in the conversation we've had now, the short conversation about it, how many challenges have have I, I know I'm thinking of mm-hmm. you know ten ten to fifteen things that are so challenging for mm-hmm. me to think about in my relationship with God mm-hmm. and and things that kind of lay me low and humble me mm-hmm. that that I get to serve this God that mm-hmm. he's that he's called me yeah. that he's saved me mm-hmm. the God that would do all these things that would empty himself mm-hmm. like that yeah um, well and and to, to Paul's point in Philippians 2 that we're called to do that for each other yeah yeah exactly and it's like we have a hard time even giving up an hour of our day mm. and and he he's saying the second person of the Godhead, Jesus gave up his home, gave up his wealth, gave up his power, gave up his part of his very nature. I I hate to say it that way. That that may not be a good way to say it, but gave up things that were in, maybe that's the best way I think I could say it, intrinsically his. Mm. He gave up, set aside, emptied himself of things that were intrinsically his, that were his by virtue of who he was. And he set that aside. And then Paul says, have this mind in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, become this kind of servant to each other. And that's why I constantly say that when Jesus and the apostles call us to be servants, Mm. they're not just calling us to the task of serving, they're calling us to the status of servant. Mm. Jesus calls us to take on the status of servant. When he says, become like a little child, he's not saying, be cute and innocent. He's saying, become nothing, like disappear into the background, be willing to step out of the spotlight, to take the lowest seat at the table, to get down on your hands and knees and wash somebody else's feet, even if it's humiliating. Why? Because that's how I loved you. Now you go and imitate that kind of love. Not just, obviously that love is, is perfectly depicted in the cross, but it's depicted in the entire incarnation. And this is why this is why you're celebrating the birth of Jesus. I grew up, you know, in a you know, in different churches at different times, different preachers and different groups of people who really downplayed celebrating the incarnation because that was what, you know, other groups of people did and we didn't do that. But this is actually so important to celebrate the incarnation. You don't have to do it on December 25th if you don't want to, but this needs to be something that yeah. we're constantly thinking about, that God became human. He gave up, set aside, emptied himself of things that were intrinsically his, his rights, his privileges, his powers, his wealth, his home, so that he could love and serve others in an incredibly condescending again not condescending as in looking down on but getting down into the mud with other people and not just for us to sit back and say wow aren't you great god thank you for doing that but for him to say if i'm willing to do that who do you think you are sitting up there in your ivory tower come down and get dirty with the rest of us come down here and serve your brothers and sisters love them the way i loved you well, I, not to cross-pollinate too much with other favorite topics of the show, but um, I, I do think it's it's all very connected that 
when you see Jesus after the resurrection, mm. well, that is a different. That is a different human. Yes, yes. Walking through walls, and, right? Yeah, yeah. And he, different he, appearances. He does and... seem in the short, you know, passages we get about that time before the ascension. He is a transcended human. I mm, mean, he, yes. he is availing himself of different uh, of yes. different powers than Not he did limited before. in the same way he was before. Right. Yes. And that, to me, is such a... That's the picture of, like you said, he not only came down to be God on earth, but to also be Israel mm. and to fulfill mm-hmm. Israel's side of the covenant and God's, mm-hmm. to join those that covenant together. And... Also to show us what happens when, when he comes back again. Yes. So that transcended body that he's in, we get one too after the resurrection. <laughs> he's saying, "Here's the preview. Yes. I want you to be a servant like me. Yes. Like I showed constantly yes. throughout yes. my life and ministry. And then here's what here's what it's going to look like. Yeah. When I when finally, death is no more. Yes. This this is what this is what you're going to look like. Right. Yes. Well, and, and and there's so much, like you said, there's so much there because, because one, Jesus lived as a servant who emptied himself of his rights and privileges and power and all of these things and served others to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then he calls us to the same thing, but he did, he lived an amazing, in an amazing way by the power of the spirit. Well, us too. Not only are we called to imitate Jesus in his self-giving love, mm. but we're also given the Spirit. And the Spirit's primary primary role in our lives is not to, you know, this is where the Corinthian church went so wrong, is they got so caught up and they wanted to do spectacular things. Mm-hmm. This is where we misuse the word miracle. Where all of the work of the Spirit is miraculous in the sense that it's not natural it is supernatural but the the most wonderful work of the spirit is character formation Hmm. the formation of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control or we could say the image of christ that the Spirit is working in us to form us and to shape us into people who have character like Jesus. So Jesus, even though he's God, becomes human and then relies on the power of the Spirit to become what the Father would have him to be, us too. We are to be servants like Jesus, humble ourselves, serve others, humiliate ourselves if necessary, die if necessary, and rely on the Father, rely on his empowering presence through his Holy Spirit to shape us and form us into being the people who do the Father's will. Then, if we humble ourselves this way and rely by faith on God, on the Son, on the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and live to please them and become what they're shaping us to be, then in the resurrection, we get to be glorified with Jesus. Paul says that we'll be glorified with him if we suffer with him. If we Mm -hmm. share in his sufferings, we'll also share in his glory. We will become glorified human beings just like Jesus is a glorified human being. Our bodies will be transformed by the power of the Spirit into these marvelous, wonderful, powerful selves, humanity 2.0, 
we're already experiencing the character formation of the spirit. And in the resurrection, we'll experience the hardware transformation <laughs> side of things like where we're transformed to be the kind of resurrected people that Jesus currently is. And we will reign with him over the new creation. This is this is the picture and the promise of the New Testament, that if we humble ourselves that way and suffer that way and are, are filled by and walk by the Holy Spirit that way, then we will experience these these promises. Um, this is this is what the New Testament is all about. This is what it is to follow Jesus. Thank you so much for being part of the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast today. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I want to give a special thanks to Travis Pauly and to our McDermott Road Church family for making this podcast possible. As always, we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.